Once again, good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you. One more topical this month, and next week we will resume verse by verse through Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges, please, chapter 7. And we'll uh, make some references to Judges, so you may want to keep it open after we stand for the reading of God's Word. Courage and Caliber is the title of this morning's message. The text is Judges chapter 7, verse 5. We'll stand in a moment and we'll take verses 5 through 7 to give it some context. If you have your Bibles and you're ready or not, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his own place. Please be seated. Gideon gets a bad rap by a lot of pastors, I think, some calling him a coward and things like that. He certainly was not to me. As a matter of fact, more space is devoted to Gideon in the book of Judges than any of the other judges. Now, for those of you, let me back up a little bit. If you're not familiar with how we do ministry here, of course, we take time to build up the believers and leave the built-up believers to try to reach those who are not believers. We believe in strengthening the saved and reaching the lost. And to do this, it, it takes work. I don't know of anything in life that comes without hard work that's really worth holding on to. There may be a few exceptions. But back to, back to what's going on here. Gideon is, there's, over a hundred, there's about a hundred verses and judges devoted to him, and called the book of Judges because they were the rulers at the time. Before Israel got kings, they had these judges. Some of them were tribal, and some of them were over the entire people of Israel. Uh, Samson gets 96 verses, just to give you an idea of the emphasis placed in the life of this man Gideon. The text is verse 5, though, and that's the part we want to zero in on. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by yourself, likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. So God is going to make a distinction here. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there talking about the heroes of the faith, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. I think we can learn a lot from this man. And what I want to address this morning is Christian development. To become more skilled, more proficient in the faith. And meeting the demands that are placed upon us as believers. And there are demands placed upon us as believers Religion is not something you just go to enjoy for a few hours on a Sunday, and that's that. If that is your religion, then 
I would question it. But increased spiritual sensitivity to our surroundings is part of our responsibility to be sensitive to what's going on spiritually. Knowing that life routinely takes from us things that we desire, things that we need, things that we find useful. Life can strip these things from us. God's Word is full of anecdotes, illustrations, poems, songs, direct statements that are built to build us up, to have a response to the losses that we incur in life so that we can make gains for the kingdom. Because for the Christian, it's all about glorifying God, and it is a joy to do so once you know Him. And when you love, when you love someone, they become the object of what you, you want to do for them. You want to help. You want to contribute. You, you want to make them better off if you can. Well, on a larger scale, that's the Christian towards God. How to respond, how to re- prepare, how to retain honor in Christ. I think many times we Christians fail here. When we are in trouble, or when we are troubled by God's methods in our own lives and lives of others, or if we're troubled by world events, what's the response going to be as a believer? And are we going to maintain our path of duty? Duty is critical for a Christian. I think a lot of us miss that also. When we meet Gideon, he's doing his duty. He's not happy about it. His faith is twisted up. He's got some issues, and understandably so. And he writes about them. He tells us about what he was going through, what he was struggling as a believer. Part of our duty is to face all facts with the greatest fact of Christ, very personal to us. You, the believer, know him as Lord, but the world, largely, mock his lordship. The psalmist, that 91st psalm, You know, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of my God, he just pours it on. And he says in in Psalm 91, too, I will say of Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Well, there's determination there. He's going to have to live it out as Christian, well, his faith. Christian victory is found... Not only in making converts, not only in growing in the faith, but finishing strong. This is what Paul was talking about when God was warning Paul. He's saying, you know, Paul, you're going to Jerusalem and you're going to be persecuted. The choice, the call is yours. I'm, of course, summarizing the whole thing. God was essentially saying, I I need you to go to Jerusalem, but you don't have to go. And if you do go, you're going to get some beatings. And God was telling Paul this through, through other servants. Paul's response was, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he wanted to finish strong. He wanted to finish with joy. You know, you may start out your Christian life, you're very happy about a lot of things. Oh, I'm saved, I know Jesus. You see everything differently. And then you find out that your Bible's not bulletproof. It's hellproof, but it won't stop a lot of things in this world. You still will feel 
the pains of a cursed world, and the world is under the curse of sin. For this man Gideon, when we first meet him, as I mentioned, he's doing his duty. He's trying to survive. He's been handed a bad situation. For the last seven years, things have been really bad for the Jewish people. If you have your Bible still open, Judges 6, verse 11, there at the bottom of that verse, or you can just listen to me read it. Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide, hide it from the Midianites. Well, ideally, you want to be up on an elevation where the wind is blowing, so when you toss the wheat up, the, the wind blows the chaff away, and the grain falls to the ground. Well, he's hiding in a wine press, prime wine press doing it. It's going to double his work at least. The Midianites aren't there yet. They're on their way, and they're coming in force. Their troop number is said to have been 135,000. We'll get to some of the verses to back that up. He's not serving God at this time. He's hiding from invaders. He's faced with troubles that are too large for him. Serious problems. He stole his honor. He's hiding. No man wants to hide from an opponent. He's threatened. His life is threatened. His faith is assaulted. It's all twisted up. They came to steal the harvest. The Jewish life was made extremely miserable. His own, his homeland being invaded, and there was nothing he could do about it. There was no army to join. We'll find out he starts the army. Gideon's story is a story of God wanting to restore his people when they cried out to him. They were suffering seven years of judgment for being disobedient. Judges 6, verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites. Incidentally, a pause there. Both of these people were descendants, these peoples were descendants of Abraham. All of them, the Jews, the Midianites, the Amalekites. And yet, there's a lot of hatred between the two. Sin has made fools of us all. Amalekites, they came, the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them. And destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. So what was happening here? They'd stripped the land so bare. The Jews, their own own livestock, had nothing to eat themselves. Never mind the people. It was pretty messed up. Again, it's like interstate trucking shut down. The supply chain was done. How do you survive? Eke out of existence, it continues, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. It tells us again in chapter 7 and verse 12, that their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore. So the blanketed, the land was just blanketed with these people. And Gideon, he's going to be visited by what we know as a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, long before the virgin birth. And he shows up in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And that phrase is a dominant phrase in this book of Judges. And when he shows up, he's referred to as a man of valor. He's hiding. He's in shame. 
He's got some serious theological questions. And he's being called a man of valor. And he doesn't know who this is talking, who it is who's talking to him just yet, as the story is told to us. He'll figure it out. But the Lord saw what was in him. Saw beyond his present situation. The Lord saw what God could do with this man if this man would submit to him. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from the land of Egypt? But now God has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. He's saying, well, where's all the Bible promises? I've been believing and serving God. Look at me. And you want to come here and say, oh, man of valor of the Lord? Not maybe saying it in that tone. But that's what he was saying. If he was going to serve God, if he was going to be used by God, he had a lot to learn. And that is true of every single one of us. But we don't think that many of us when we come to Christ. We think that we are actually bringing something useful with us. And God is saying, I have stripped that out of you. And he tries to do it in a delicate way, I think, most of the time. But either way, you know, as John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. I must get smaller, he gets bigger because he's worthy because he is God. If he was just a man, I wouldn't say that about him. And so we, we have to learn these things about our faith. And sometimes it's, it's very difficult, but we should prevail. The angel does not debate the matter with Gideon's question. You know, where's God? Where's the Bible study? Where's all the promise? He doesn't debate it. Instead, he calls him to serve. Puts him to work. I'll come back to that question, though, because we, too, want to hear the answer. The first thing he was called to do was to address the idolatry in his own home, in his father's home. His dad had a giant uh, monument up, a wooden monument up to these fake gods. His dad was a Jew. He was called to worship Jehovah or Yahweh. But instead, he has this, his own ideas about God, which is an abomination to the Lord. God hates it when people make up things about him. And that, why is that difficult for any of us to understand? Do you like it when people make up things about you? True or false, uh, or, or not true or false, uh, because it wouldn't be true if, he, if they made it up. But if, uh, whether it's flattering or not, I still don't want people telling things, saying things about me that aren't true. Well, people do it to God all the time. The second thing he was told to do, to, after addressing this idol, to tear it down, was to make a public declaration of his faith. He was to use his father's prized bull to pull down this monument, which means it was pretty big. And then he was to kill the bull, use the wood of the monument for fire to, to make the fire, and offer that bull on an altar. He was wise enough to say, okay, but I'm going to do this at night. So he goes on his night mission with some helpers, and he does just what the Lord says. He complies. And then they find out about it in the morning. Well, his dad comes to his rescue because they're going to kill him for shaming their God. And his dad, who worshipped that God, typical dad, jumping, uh, going to help his boy out. He says, what, can't our, can't our God defend himself? Can't your God defend himself? And that calmed them down. They said, well, you got a good point. We're not going to, to killed Gideon for this crime, because if our God is God, he'll kill Gideon for the crime. Well, the people called to serve God 
uh, these Jewish people, uh, they chose life without him. And that's where these seven years of persecution from the Midianites and others came. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Judges 6 verse 1 and verse 10. Also I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. God took it personal. They stopped following him. So he withdrew his blessings. And that's where we are. God called Gideon while he was evading detection from the enemy. I don't ever want to be in that spot. Unless I'm setting up an ambush. Then, I, then I'll hide. Alright, that's, that's the flesh, but that's still the way I think. Moses, he was called when a fugitive shepherd. Fugitive from Egypt. There in the desert of what is Saudi Arabia now, or, or Jordan actually, right, right there by it. Hiding or getting on with his life as a shepherd. Samuel was a child in the temple at Shiloh when God called him. David was an errand boy to the battlefield when God called him. Peter was a fisherman at the seashore of Galilee, a professional fisherman. And the Lord called him there. Paul was a fanatic prosecutor indicting Christians, arresting them when God called him. And here Gideon, a defeated farmer. All of this ends up questioning the methods of God, which is fair. It's okay to question what God is doing, just not in a defiant way with reverence. Lord, I don't understand this. Can you help me out here? But you put enough pressure on us, and what do we say? God, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing it? I have found that he usually doesn't answer. He keeps moving forward. You move with him or you don't. It's very beneficial to move with him. By this time, Gideon had confirmed with God, and we're going to fast forward up a little bit, that God wanted him to deliver the people, going to use him to lead the people against the Midianites. And he wanted to be sure. Then Gideon called the troops, and the people came. And we read about that in chapter 6 and verse 34. But there were too many of them for God. God wanted less. So again, 135,000 Midianites, and here we have 32,000 Jews that assemble for war. And God says to Gideon, you have too many men. I'd be scratching my head. I said, Lord, I think you have a math issue. Because they've got 135,000, I have 32. Well, God says, go tell the troops that want to go, they can go. We pick that up in verse 3 of chapter 7. Now, therefore, God giving Gideon instructions consistent with the law in Deuteronomy. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. <laughs> of the 32,000, 22,000 avail themselves of this opportunity to not fight for their freedom. Just like that, they're gone. 
Well, the law, again, Moses told the people, look, when you go to war, you offer the troops an out because we do not want people turning coward on the battlefield. That would be worse. We'd rather double the enemy than have this, these guys on our side. Now, later, all of these troops are going to come back, but this is a critical mission to get this thing going. God is thinning out the army. Uh, by their departure, did they publicly proclaim themselves as cowards? It's just a question. I mean, what would you have been thinking if you were part of the 10,000 that stayed and you saw 32 depart? What would be the conversation in the camp? Did they see them as cowards? Well, we're not told, but we can just uh, ponder the thought, and I think there's some insight or there's benefit in pondering such questions, even if we can't come to a conclusion. They showed up, and that's all they did. They showed up as soldiers, but they did not behave as soldiers. But as I mentioned in chapter 7 and verse 24, they, they come back. <clears throat> if all these types were cut out of the church, and I don't mean uh, the, the local church of Christianity, if, if the pastor stood up and said, all of those who refuse to commit to what has to be done, various things, all of those who fear sharing their faith because they're going to be mocked or persecuted, in this country we're talking about, I'm talking about, all who fear the powers of darkness, that they are stronger than the powers of God. All of these groups, if you want to just leave the church, and then we continue, the faint-hearted, the indifferent, all who do not honor God with their earnings, all who seldom pray or read their Bible, all who want to sing and do nothing else, all who worship only when in the mood, all who claim Christ but do not believe the Bible is the word of God. And all who put their church in last place instead of first place. So if a pastor, stood, pastors around the country stood up and said that to congregations and the guilty said, well, that's me. What would we be left with? What would the church look like? I don't say these things to make anyone feel bad, but again, the scripture tells us to examine ourselves. We can't do it all, but we can do something. Everybody has got something they can contribute to Christ. Gideon was then directed to march with the remaining 10,000 men of his army to the water. We pick that up in verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water... With his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And so you have two types here. They're on Mount Gilead. They're going to make that trip down to the water. They're going to be very thirsty by the time they get there. There's going to be one group who gets on their knees and drinks the water. There's going to be another group that stays standing and scoops the water up. Probably wading out into the water. And I mean, the whole thought of drinking river water that people are standing in is repulsive to me. But evidently, it wasn't too bad for them. And so by the time they get there, uh, again, there are those who wasted no time at the ford, got on their knees and drank their fill. But the minority marched straight through, stayed upright. And they... Um, 
They had to have come by ranks. There's 10,000 of them. You couldn't just all come down at the same time. That would stretch out the army a couple of miles. So they come down in ranks. And it comes down to how you drink shows how you think in this situation. This method of sifting the army was unassuming. Who knew it was going on? The men are being who they are. They, they don't know this test is taking place, whether they're failing or passing. None of the soldiers knew they were being tested. The 10,000, uh, of that 10,000, this took a long time. This was a process, hours, to get it completed. And God told Gideon to send home those who got on their knees to drink the water. Now, this is an important part of what I'm trying to say. Soldiers who showed carelessness in proximity of the enemy had to be released. They were ripe for ambush with that style of thinking. With that style of soldiering, they could be outflanked and defeated very quickly. Sucker punched. Nobody wants to be sucker punched. We, we want to be on guard for, you know, when my children leave the house, I tell them, you better watch your back, Jack. When you're out in public, you be aware of your surroundings. Somebody's standing too close to you, be aware of those things. Well, that's what Gideon was saying. Don't make it easy for the enemy. And those who put thirst ahead of vigilance were eliminated. Verse 6, the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. And so those who were watchers as well as fighters remained for this critical mission. Imagine, we say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Everything in our scripture is meant to build us up spiritually. To increase our ability to serve the Lord effectively. By such an example of this, God says, I need you to be sensitive to the spiritual war that you are in. Whether you not like it or not, whether you believe it or not. There are spiritual forces, there are unseen forces trying to get you to go to hell. And I don't want that. And that's where the church comes in. When she's behaving the way she's supposed to behave. And when she doesn't behave properly, we have a large problem. Anyway, does this picture for you and me the necessity for devotional habit? Without personal time, without being in the presence of the Lord personally, are you unconscious of the enemy in the environment? Have you lost track of what you're here for as a believer? What your life is about? Again, Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. What he needed was reinforcements, not a depletion of his army. The, again, the methods of God. You're going to trust him. Or not. Faith is not superstition. Faith is built on facts. Facts that you're willing to admit are just that. The story of God filtering out those of low courage and lower caliber 
It's critical to us. The first test was that of courage. If you don't want to fight, you can go. 22,000 leave. The second was that of caliber. Watch how they drink. Watch how they behave in close proximity to the Midianites. And we're told the Midianites were just over the valley. They were, they were close enough. They were close enough to send out patrols. And the ancient armies did that. They would send out patrols. They would send out skirmishes. Pick little fights to find out how much of a big fight you were ready for. That comes down to one out of every thousand and six men fit for this critical mission. Who do you want to be in this story? Well, your flesh would say, I'd like to go back home now. This ancient warfare is bloody. People swinging swords at you. No corpsmen, no medics. This is ugly stuff. Who do you want to be? Maybe you're the one that's, you know, look, I'm so thirsty, I don't have time to look around. I want to be the guys that are on their toes, that are ready. And I can't always be that. I mean, I have learned that there's, there are high standards in life. Going at them makes me better, but I can't get them all. No one can. But the ones we do get, there's where we excel. There's where the courage increases. There's where the caliber increases. There is where we are more useful to the king. What did Gideon think when he saw 9,700 men going over the hill back home, leaving him with only 300 against the Midianites who are like the locusts, just covering the land. Well, he had already settled that God was going to use him. Later, God's going to say, Gideon, if you're still afraid, I want you to take your servant, Pua, that's the servant's name, and I want you to, at night, to get up close to the enemy's perimeter. Gideon does that. And they hear these two centuries, these two guards. One says to the other one, I had this crazy dream. I dreamt this loaf of barley came rolling into the camp and knocked over the tents. And the other one, an unbeliever, interprets the dream. He says, this is nothing more than Gideon. He's going to wipe us out. Gideon got all he needed, and it says at that point that he worshipped the Lord. He says, Lord, thank you. Praise you. And he and his servant make it back to the camp. Now he's bold. Now he really knows God is with him in spite of having just this rifle company of 300 men against a a brigade, an entire corps against him, an army against him. It is possible for a church to lose numbers and gain in strength. It is possible in every area of our life to lose things that we think are critical to victory, but actually They're not so long as we are near God, which brings me to my last point. Don't worry, you won't get out of here early. Any hopes like that? we got about another 20 minutes, if that. Anyway. (laughs) Nearness to God. How are you going to get that? Unless you're aware of where you are, what your life is about, why you were born, where you're going after you're born. You're either going to listen to people fill in those blanks or you're going to receive it from God. It's going to be human speculation or divine revelation. Which one's it going to be? And if it's divine revelation, you better get to the bottom of it to find out if it is genuinely divine. Salvation requires no human effort, only faith, the work of faith. That's all it requires. 
Maturity, however, requires a lot of work. And what makes me serve better as a Christian is the knowledge that I'm trying to finish well. I'm not just trying to get saved. I'm not just trying to be a mature Christian. I want to go out with my boots on. I don't want to be caught, you know, flat on my back. I want to finish well. Christianity is not for spiritual pacifists. You cannot finish well if you think your life is about spiritual peace. We have peace with God. We have that. But we do not have peace with the world. We do not have peace with Satan. And we do not have peace with that old nature of ours that just loves sin so much. Every one of us has it. Even once you come to Christ, you're going to fight that old man. You're going to be waiting for you at the foot of the bed every single morning. And at some point in the day, he's going to make a move. And if you are not ready for him, because you're unaware that you live in close proximity to the enemy, to the foe, he's going to take you down. You don't have to be macho to do this. This calls for spiritual awareness, nearness to God. And so Christianity, to finish well, I must be careful, not careless. I mean, there's sometimes I'm going to mess up and I trust God will help me wherever he does. And he does. But what bolsters courage and elevates the caliber of my service to the Lord is devotional habit. Personal time near God. One of the big things that will help you as a Christian. Now, again, it's not bulletproof. But it is hell-proof. You're still going to have struggles. But your courage will be elevated. Your caliber will be higher. One of those things is scripture memory. When I was a little bitty thing, compared to the people in the NBA, I still am a little bitty thing. (laughs) Anyway, my mom taught me the Lord's Prayer. I never forgot it. As you know, as small as I can remember, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I still remember the King James Version. I'm so grateful for that. It's ingrained in me. Later, I, I you know, memorized many other verses. Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But let me tell you something about Scripture memory. There's two things that go with it. Scripture selection is one. You don't want to select all the verses that say, Jesus loves me. Oh, Jesus loves me. You better pick verses that you diversify. You pick them for other various areas. And you watch what God will start doing with you. Not only is scripture selection important for drawing close to God. But um, to go back years later and refresh yourself. Because you can forget. Now how does that verse go again? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not get that. That's the easy part. But as it moves on, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Somebody's not afraid of my enemies. (laughs) I am pretty much sometimes. God is not. And therefore, if he is not, I'm not. That's courage. That's where courage comes from. But how do you get to that caliber? You got to do something. Scripture selection. Scripture review. Scripture memory. You want to draw close to God? Draw close to him. You say, how do I do that? Prayer, of course, is is critical. Fellowship is very important. That's where you get to find out if you got moves or not. 
If you just want to read your Bible and have scripture memory, but you're not locking horns with other Christians, you're not getting your toes stepped on, you're not called to serve, your caliber is going to be low, and so is your courage. You'll end up burying your talent, and that won't be good for anybody but the worms. So, we talk about our shield of faith, our body armor as Christians, the breastplate of righteousness, boots ready, having your feet shod with preparation for the gospel. You've got to love that. You don't suddenly get good when, when, when things come your way. You're either ready for them or you're not. And uh, the, the boots of readiness, the helmet of salvation, that assurity. Yeah, I know I'm saved. What's this stuff about I'm not saved? When Satan talks to you, Quote scripture back. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is knowing what the Bible says through the right authority. A fellowship. Again, that's where the friction is. Breaking of bread. The communion table with other believers. They're sharing in that testimony. And of course, dialogue with God. Prayer. You know... Much of my prayer is fussing with God. I'm not proud of this. This is not a confession. <laughs> it's just the way it is. It's like, Lord, what is with this? Why is that? You know, and, and, and you know, at one point I thought God would say, you know, you, you complain a lot. And, and my response was, I know. I know. There's so much to complain about. But I do it with you, Lord, not everybody else. I, that's not for them. If I'm going to hammer out solutions, i got to do it with you. And God doesn't need me to tell him this. He knows everything already. I'm the one that needs to articulate what's going on in my heart. To a superior being we know is Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so those of you who have been serving here in this church for years or anywhere, are you still excited? Are you still eager to serve? How would you like to hear when your pastor comes in on a Sunday morning and says, oh, gosh, i got to go back there. Who would want to go hear a man like that? Listen, preaching is not motivational speaking. It may motivate you. Preaching is supposed to be anointed speaking because everything it says is based on what Scripture says. And that's why you get the Scripture verses when I make points. That's why I say, look with me at this verse. So you'll understand I'm not concocting these things in my own genius. <laughs> anyway, I'm still excited. When I drive in, other than looking for deer, <laughs> I am excited to get here. I like when I, when I unlock that door and come in here, it's sort of like Lord boots on the ground. I push that coffee machine <laughs> just for a little bit, a supplement, and I'm ready to go. And I've asked the men, don't get here before 745. It's my time with the Lord. I'm in his presence. I'm hammering out things. I'm trying to say things in the right way so that I'm not unnecessarily hurting anyone. And truth does hurt sometimes. But if all you have is truth, then you're just going to be a brute. You've got to have more. Well, coming back to this. This presence of, that I'm talking about, if you want to increase your courage as a Christian, if you want to elevate your caliber, uh, Gideon, in this section, in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Judges, ten times we read, and God said to Gideon, or, and God said 
and speaking to Gideon. Ten times. Now, you know, when the Bible sets those kind of patterns, there's a message there. Here is our sword. Ephesians 6, 17. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You want to be in God's presence? God's Word's got to be part of it. You have to listen to what He says. He'll never contradict what He has in print. Offense is critical. But you can't win. Or defense is critical. But you can't win without offense. At some point, you've got to make the hit. I think this... I I don't want to... I, don't, I think about this every now and then, and I'm not promoting pugilism, or nor am I condemning it, but some of you remember the Ali Foreman fight. And those of you who don't, you missed it, you'll never, you're now, you'll just live in shame forever. <laughs> For those of you who don't, Muhammad Ali was a boxer, George Foreman was his opponent. Foreman was notorious for punching people so hard, people in other counties went unconscious. And so they're fighting, and Ali can't, you know, he's just taking the punches. That was his defense. And he wore Foreman out. And when Foreman was spent, couldn't lift his hands, Ali took him out. So at some point, you've got to have offense. You can't just have defense. Now, I mean, there's little tricks and stuff. I mean, for instance, the shield of faith. Well, a shield can be used on offense. But the idea from Scripture that I'm trying to make is you've got to have the Word of God. And you've got to use it as a sword to cut through the lies of Satan. You are not trying, we as Christians, are not trying to wound the individual whom we are privileged to speak to. But we are trying to do as much damage to wrong ideas about Christ as we can from the Scripture. And it's okay to say someone, no, that's not what I believe, and here's why. And then you, you give the scripture verses. You give the logic. That's using your sword. And so today, we're not facing Midianites and Amalekites of the ancient world as the Jews were. But this war ain't over, this war between heaven and hell. There are still Midianites. There are modern Midianites. Some young man says, I feel a calling to be a pastor. And he's encouraged to go to seminary, which I would never encourage any man to do. And he goes off to seminary, and those liberal professors get hold of him. They're the Midianites. They begin to tell him, yeah, the Bible's not enough. You also need some psychology to go with that. Oh, you know what? That's not enough. Oh, don't believe that part. That part's mythological. And they strip the faith of that young man. Those are the Midianites coming into the land, taking away the harvest. Everything you've toiled for, you've worked for, they strip it. Till that man leaves the seminary, a Midianite. Everything's stolen. If you want to, if you're called to the ministry, you get with a man of God who loves the Word of God. And let him build you up. It's called discipleship. Well, where do we find that in our New Testament? Everywhere. God says that he has given pastors... For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, like I'm trying to do right now. And I'm part of this too. I'm not talking down to you. I too need to be built up. And I get built up in my preparation time. Well, what brought victory was Gideon being in touch with God, that interaction with God. And these Midianites that we face today, 2 Corinthians, Paul called them out. He said, who's mine? whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. 
I'm not proud at one point I was raised to love the Lord Jesus. I became an antichrist and God in his mercy grabbed me again. Man, I came that close. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's change the subject. (laughs) The hordes of the Midianites, they come, taking as much as they can carry back with them, leaving you to try to survive. And if you're not grounded in the Acts 2.42 formula of doctrine, of uh, fellowship, of communion and prayer, if you're not grounded there, it may be too much for you. You won't survive once the Midianites of life are finished with you. You will scurry off the battle line. You'll get down on your knees and you'll satisfy yourself and you'll be oblivious to what really is happening You'll be careless about your environment. Devotional habit as a Christian is not magical. It's a weapon of war. 2 Corinthians 10. Remember I said, no Christian is a spiritual pacifist. Not if he's being obedient. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. I have never met a man in history that can take what Paul took. You know, history describes him as a somewhat frail, small man. But, oh man. What a dynamo. Uh, who, who can, I mean, it's tough. Anyway, I'm almost done. To keep off the casualty list, remember such verses as this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Because of these 300, the others are able to come back, and the Midianites are defeated. And so the others benefited. Those who were possibly classified as cowards, those who were released for their carelessness on the field of battle, they were brought back because of the 300. So in those three groups, which one would you like to be? You say, well, I'd like to be part of that 300. But I don't know if I've got what it takes. You don't. God does. And, and you can get as much as you need, if you get with him, you stay with him. We'll close with this verse. Galatians 6. And this is about those who aren't that strong in the faith. We don't shoot our wounded. Well, let me rephrase that. We're not supposed to shoot our own wounded as Christians. Happens all the time. Somebody stumbles in sin, let's kill them. Let's get them out. And it's just sometimes it's pretty, pretty tough to see that. Uh, the proper way is to look for a solution. Uh, if the person will, of course, own whatever guilt that belongs to them. There, here it is, Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Man, the Bible is balanced. Let's pray. Our Father, your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We thank you for it. One of the great things about coming to you, Lord, submitting to your lordship, is a desire to share who you are with others who don't know you. It's impossible to do without you, without your leading. If you have been watching online, or perhaps if you're in the service you've never opened your heart to Christ, well, you have an opportunity. Christ is not going to 
receive you and turn you to, into someone who's crazy. He's actually the cure for insanity. If you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've got you've to say it. You've got to step up and take it. If you make this prayer as an example, Christ will receive you if you mean it. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. I am guilty before you. No one else has died to take my punishment, and no one else is strong enough to rise from the graves to demonstrate how strong they are except you. And I give my heart to you right here, right now. And I ask that this, from this day forward, you would not only be the one that saves my soul from a sure judgment to come for breaking your commandments, but also, in addition to being my Savior, you would be the Lord ruler over my life, and I give it to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not hesitate when invited to share it with one of the pastors. May they step forward and say, I've just asked Christ into my heart. And these things we commit to your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.